Hello, my name is Robert Hagens. And I'm Kay Tuxford. And this is episode 102 of Screenwriting and from the Trenches, a podcast about the craft and expression of screenwriting in all of its forms from the perspective of writers just like you. I want to know what you think that voice was every week. I don't know. I was like, do I, that voice. was like my rapid fire game show host voice. Game show know. host. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. This week we are talking with 2022 Blacklist screenwriter David Williams, who is someone that I follow very closely on Twitter. And we are going to discuss the moving target that is the craft of screenwriting. But until this strike is over and we, well, by the time that you're getting this, it, it may already be over. But, you know, we're standing in solidarity with the, SAG with SAG AFTRA and the WGA against the AMPTP, and we are donating our Twitter drama segment to one that we're calling the Strike Corner. Take it away, Zach. And it's just another day in screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama. It's just another day in screenwriting drama. It's another day in screenwriting drama. And we're back. <laughs> Guess what? Moist panties. Okay, so speaking of what we were talking of a few seconds ago, the, apparently people are calling for the end of the strike. The strike, the end looms, it, so they say. It's, it feels like a manufactured end potentially looming. Potentially, yeah. The, the WGA, as we've been talking about all this time till we're blue in the face, have been waiting to negotiate and, you know, get in the nitty gritty. And the AMPTP have been connecting with them few and far between. We had a, 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 a meeting, I think an offer in August, and now it's end of September and they're finally coming back to the table. So the, the people who are moving at a sloth's pace is the AMPTP, the Writers Guild, has been at the ready this entire time. So... Just, I just, I don't want to both sides this shit. Let's be honest. One person, one group is what we call dragging ass. Well, they put out this statement that said that they delivered their last and best offer to the WGA. It's specifically their best and final offer. Best and final offer. Yes, their best yes. and final offer. And then, but they also... There also seems to be like they're 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 hedging they're sort of talking out of both sides of the mouth. They had the best and final offer, but also the strike is coming to an end. You know what I mean? Like whatever sort of PR moves that they're trying to do this time around, they seem to be trying to get people confused. And then they wanted that way. If the writers guild turns around, is like nah, be we not about that life then you know the amptp can turn around and say we gave them our best offer it was a it was our best and it, this whole thing could be over now look at them they're the bad guys but unfortunately for them the wga has been very good at at posting what they turned down so it's not just that they're just turning it down there've also been sort of every time that they there's like they come to and they're just like nope not again and then they tried to some bullshit they were just like hey here's this is what we turned down and everybody's like yeah that is bullshit david have you seen you've seen the the probably those things as well as, as the rest of us uh yeah i've seen it all i no disagreements here I, I think i think the other thing that really 
gives me that like sublime writer joy is that there are so many writers on Twitter who are participating in the strike, supporting the strike, going and marching or giving solidarity. And when this some bullshit, as you call it so artfully, Rob, arrives, yep. it's like it's like it descends into Twitter and it's like the world's giantest writer's room, you know, and everybody is riffing on it and everybody is poking holes in it and everybody is like pointing out how stupid they are. It's the it's Essentially, I imagine for the AMPTP, it's like the meanest playground they have ever been on because nobody is buying it. Nobody. Yeah, no, nobody's buying it. And that's the thing because, I, you know, I don't know. I, my wife and I have had this conversation, but they just picked the wrong generation for this. You know what I mean? Just like we've seen too much of the, the greed, not to mention the fact that these millionaires and billionaires are not doing themselves any favors where every time you see them on TV, they're saying the quiet part out loud. You know what I mean? Like every single time, like they 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 keep putting out, be like, you know what would be great for the workforce if 50% of them were out of work? You, like, <laughs> you, you know- what if, what if they lost their homes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. They need, to, they need to starve. The, you know what I mean? This, uh and it seems to be, especially in a time where, you know, the biggest thing sort of going right now in in work is, is, is companies are forcing people to return to work, despite the fact that everybody is looking for remote positions. They're just like, oh, you, you like that flexibility and the, 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 the unique ability to not be micromanaged and harassed in a place that you didn't want to drive to? You, you you liked all of that? Well, we're we're gonna get rid of it. Why? Be because we miss harassing and micromanaging. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I, I I couldn't agree more. I think I think especially after the two thousand seven two thousand eight strike, all all of the more senior writers are like, yeah, we've been through your bullshit before. It's the same playbook. Nobody's buying what you're selling. And then on top of that, I think we are just in this this era where labor goes nah anymore which is which is fantastic that's why it's been hot strike summer and it has been hot <laughs> and i want to also say just like leading us through this because everybody's going to be refreshing their their news feed to find out whether it is or isn't going to happen i know that's what i'm going to do after this podcast obviously i'm hoping for the best outcome for writers whatever it may be whether it's the strike breaks and we get what we need or we go and march again because we're not there yet and we got to hold we got to hold the line but there have been some tweets uh and i'm going to call them tweets i don't call them exes i'm not doing that what are they, I, what, um, they they're just called posts that they, they want but oh posts i'm sorry is this facebook anyway blah. Anyway, so tweets, we, we have been getting some pre-WGA people getting worried that if the strike breaks, what happens to them? And, you know, I think I think this happens every time, you know, you do hunker down and do something like a strike or a big a big film or a big project. It's like, well, I knew I knew who I was during the strike. I don't know what it's gonna be like outside of the strike. And so there are fears that they're gonna go back to not having connections or being recommended for opportunities there's a lot of insecurity uh being displayed out there I, I don't know if you saw any of the these posts rob yeah i did and i i, I actually 
you know, I think actually David was talking about this on his feed, you know, where some of the pre-WGA writers, like everybody was sort of like, you know, we were like, hey, we didn't scab and everybody's, you know, in case this thing is over, you know, like, should we be, you know, we don't want to necessarily lose our place in line. Like everybody seems, you know, it was all one big thing. We don't want to go back to these sort of like the way things used to be where it was just kind of like, oh, you guys are over there. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Yeah, if, if I could chime in, I, I definitely spoke up about that. Yeah, I, I think people, it's um, it's less true now than it was before that writers have any real power to like, quote unquote, put it forward. And it's not from a lack of desire to do so, especially for the right writers. This industry really runs on... You know, from a writing perspective, it runs on undeniability. People have to really love your work and be willing to sacrifice years out of their life to make it happen and to represent you and to represent your work. Like most writers will never really grasp how much they're asking of people when <laughs> when they're you know trying to succeed. And so this notion that, and also I'll get into like pre WGA stuff, just like in general, like that phrase and everything yeah because so yeah i think a lot of writers if i'm just going to be completely frank they they you know it's hard to break in obviously it's like stupid hard it's like mm -hmm. literally one of the hardest things to do it's one of the hardest industries to get into it's one of the hardest industries to get people to take you seriously in and it was hard like that before the strike and so there were you know there's millions of writers who are not working writers they're at different phases of their of their craft they're brand new or they've been doing it forever or maybe they've ha had some close calls who when the strike happened i think they subconsciously felt the playing field kind of even because now no one's working right you know, we're all kind of in the same boat it's it, as far as some you know pre-wga writers are concerned it's it's now well you know since someone's working we're all the same and so it's hard to kind of unpack that without making it sound as though it's us and them or it's you know professional and then everyone else we are all in this in this together but our experiences are so vastly different when you're a wg writer and you know you have a career on the line it's very different than someone trying to break in the perspectives are so different that you can't really i don't know it just felt like a lot of writers online tried they kind of tried to mesh <laughs> themselves in there because like i said the the in a reductive way just we are aren't working and now there are a lot of pre-wga people who have a platform with which to speak on the behalf of wga writers but i think they're going to try to parlay that into some opportunities that even if wga writers wanted to create it would be very hard for them for them to do you can't just take any script to anyone just because it's out of the goodness of your heart you have to be very selective and burning reads in this industry is, is a thing. And you, in your best bet, even if you got an opportunity and got a read, your best bet will always be to be a great writer first and have a great script. That's just going to be, that's always going to work for you a thousand times more than, you know, someone being nice. So, and honestly, people in this industry are nice to you typically because you've done something great. Let's be honest, not just because you, we're picketing when you didn't have to. People in this industry want to get to know you and want to work with you. First and foremost, what they, you know, what happens is they read a script first. 
they don't meet you. It's typically they don't meet you first and then read the script. And a, a representative sends your script off first. They go, wow, this person's really great. I need to meet them. And then, they, you know, we kind of go from there. So no matter what you do, you, you're going to have to lead with the samples. <laughs> you can't, you know, try to parlay it from God knows where Mississippi and because you tweeted. So I don't know. It's I'm trying to word it the, the right way, but it's really just about setting expectations and trying to avoid coming off as entitled, not being entitled, but coming off as entitled. So because there's a lot of things in this world that require you to put so much into and put a lot of effort into and blood, sweat and tears that you simply can't expect anything in return. That's just the reality of this industry. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that we have this problem where it's like, just because you supported writers, which is fantastic, it doesn't automatically mean that you're, it's, it, it's like the equivalent of a guy being nice to a girl in high school. And that means she has to date him, you know, Seriously, being, yeah. being a decent person and fighting for something you believe in is a baseline. You're not really owed anything on top of that. You should be satisfied that you were a decent person and you know if anything else comes of it that's fantastic but coming across going i didn't get what i wanted out of it we we thought ever you know if you wanted <laughs> to go pick it you know and support yeah. it. so we thought you got what you that's wanted. a great point yeah, yeah. so, that's, so don't, I think that's a... don't be the nice guy of of the of the of the picket line um i want to move us on to something writer nerdy stuff. Rob, you showed, everybody showed this to me this week, which is Brian Duffield put a page of his script from No One Will Save You, which is now on Hulu. He put it up on Twitter to show his unconventional formatting and every, every writer I know went nuts in a, yeah. in a good way. Yes. Uh, yeah. Did you, did anyone get to see this page or am I, am I the only? No, I saw it. Yeah. Stand? Okay. Yeah, I also sent it to you, K Tuxer. So, you know, like I, I definitely saw it. Wow. I, Never... I mean, I think it's pretty awesome. I'm mean, personally. Yeah. I think it's I think it's pretty great. Of course, it opens the door for writers who don't have expert they haven't quite reached the expertise level of the fundament the fundamentals of screenwriting, who go, Hey, see, when I do weird stuff, obviously it's the right thing to do because this you know amazing writer brian duffel done it and and it's like man that dude i mean he's probably sold more scripts than half of screen and twitter has written that guy is not only is he prolific but he's just i mean honestly you can argue that he's one of the greatest or at least one of the most successful screenwriters of all time not to mention he's also directing and there's a fair chance that at this point in his career he has some kind of power over how his screenplay looks regardless yeah. of who's who's reading and who's trying to finance it it really, I mean, honestly, there's a world where Brian Duffel could literally do anything on that page and no one's going to care. They're just going to make the movie. With that said, I'm in the camp of, yeah, that's really cool. That's really different. I'm sure the majority of the rest of the script looks very conventional. I'm sure it's also an amazing script. So, I mean, look, if your script is phenomenal, if you have a really awesome, you know, concise voice, you could do stuff like that for sure. What you don't want to do is you don't want to forego... Uh, the, your craft, you know, you, you can't be a writer who's only been writing for 18 months and try to skip ahead to Brian Duffel's level to do yeah. that kind of stuff. I, I remember reading some of his earlier Blacklist scripts, like worst, what was it, worst honeymoon ever? And yeah, he yeah. definitely, he definitely had a lot of like white space on the page, but that this, it's this so clean, yeah, it's, 
it's so clean. And, and I admire that because as, as Rob knows, and Dave, I haven't subjected you to my writing, but I'm a minimalist. I'm like, <laughs> if I could get away, if I could just get a tiny, eat more white space out on the page, I would do it. I would maybe trade my first <laughs> for it. Um, that's, yeah. that's how serious it is because I, it's just so good. So I always, I always admired his really clean pages, but yes, this is, it is watching like a, a more masterful stroke. And I think a new oh, yeah. person wouldn't have uh, an awareness of why it worked versus why maybe their attempt doesn't work. If I can use an analogy, uh, one of the first things that comes to mind is like Patrick Mahomes in the NFL, who is this, I mean, generational talent-wise all-timer quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. The dude's talent is like phenomenal and above and then he goes even further and he's doing things that you're not supposed to do as a quarterback and he's executing them that doesn't mean that you know if you're a freshman in college now you have you know he's just you're justified in throwing the ball over the middle of the field late there's still there's a reason why you're not supposed to do that it's because it's going to be intercepted most of the time and 99.9 percent of quarterbacks are not Patrick Mahomes so it looks cool and everything and it's hopefully inspires someone who is ready to take that step, you know, the next step as far as their voice goes and, and, and their style. But yeah, I think writers have to be very careful not to, not to look at that and go and, you know, and, and, and do something really crazy that they don't need to do. Yeah. I've seen, I, I downloaded the rest of the script because it was on Reddit and I, I, I actually watched the movie and I watched the scene where that, that the that the page is actually from and uh, well i preferred it on the page because on the page i don't know that you know some things can ever live up to like some things that you're right like on the page that 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 thing is terrifying but i've mm. i've written a scene that was sort of like that and i was i was sort of like i remember when i wrote my sort of version of that kind of thing where you have this sort of semi body horror kind of thing that is happening on the page and then just being like i wonder if i'm being too much but now i'm mm -hmm. looking at that and like being like you know what i wasn't i wasn't doing too bad you know <laughs> so at least gives you like sort of like a like a yardstick to by which to judge your own work be like i don't know that this is necessarily my the way that i would do it but now i'm just like oh okay i you know if i'm if i play with the you know, some things here make it look a little weird. It, it's it's certainly not, you know, a full-blown uh, no one can save you. So at least that sort of becomes like <laughs> a new yardstick by which to like measure yourself up against to be like, like you said, just be like, all right, you know, I'm not necessarily throwing like, like, you know, up midfield. Like that's not how I want to do, but you know what I mean? Like if I'm a little wild on the stick, you know, like I'm, I'm fine in my own way. <laughs> So yeah, just... and I think I think that, but I'm gonna say this is me being like the optimist of the group right now. I think that that, that seeing Duffield's page, I think, does put in a sense of like joy and optimism that I I enjoy in writing, which is that there is that element of like you can, to a certain extent, you can create a lot of an experience for the person reading your page, depending on the like how you put it down and how you present it. And so for me, just on a presentation level even though I don't think I have a need to do something like that, it definitely gave me joy to see that sort of attention to detail that he really like 
really took the time to give a sense of like that, that page has a feeling, right. um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I really appreciate that because I think sometimes early writers, they're, they're so focused on getting, you know, the 90, 120 pages up and, you know, and to the end, they're not necessarily looking at how each page is, you know, potentially pulling it along. So it is, it is inspirational to me. Right. Okay. And this, this, <laughs> that script is, is 90 pages. It is a cool 90 pages. Uh, listen, so, I'm always oh, yeah. happy to hear someone part of the 90 page club. That Talk is dirty to me. Yeah. That's good stuff. <laughs> oh, Dave, that's, Dave, that's true. Dave, your script, the last script I read of yours, Clementine was like, what, 90? Yeah, that's 90 pages. 90. 90. 90 oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I counted the title page. I mean, hey. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, hey. <laughs> 90, yeah, 90, 90 pages. William Goldman said 90 pages is enough to write a, you know, a good, solid screenplay. He said that about Princess Bride, which was 90 pages. And I, I don't think I have an excuse better than that to just hit that 90 and say, what's up? I mean, there are exceptions to the rule. Like I always think about Fincher talking to Sorkin being like, hey, the studio's like, you're going to have to cut the script because it's 168 pages long. And, you know, like, and Sorkin being like, well, it's a two hour movie. And he's like, what? And he's like, yeah, no, if you do it the way it's supposed to be done, this is a two hour movie. And having them go like through the script, like page, like scene by scene, and timing the script, and coming out at like two two hours exactly, and then like you know, then Fincher enforcing that on his actors, being like, guys, I love it, I love what you're doing, but I promise you, this scene is better at seven minutes of forty one seconds. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm not fucking with you. <laughs> but like, you're not, you're not, we're not there yet. You know what I mean? But like, and that movie's two hours long. But like, so it's it's not a one to one always. But unless you're Aaron Sorkin, like, go fuck off. You know what I mean? Like, the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> or Amy Sherman Palladino. Right, the, exactly. like, 90-page you know I mean? Gilmore Girl episodes. Yeah. Come on. I'm sure yeah, Ms. Yeah. is about the same. Yeah. The 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 key, yeah, the key word is there is Aaron, Sirk, Aaron Sorkin. Right, um, right, right. It, I mean, by the time he's written that 160-page script, he's he's Aaron Sorkin. So, you know, <laughs> the, the average screenwriter, it's highly recommended that you don't hand in 160-page scripts and then try to tell tell execs, yeah, but it's two hours. They don't care. They're looking at the page count. <laughs> you don't have. You're not in talks with most. Most writers are not automatically in talks with David Fincher. So I, I just need you know people just have to be realistic about these things. And also, I mean Brian Duffel and Aaron Sorkin, what they've done is like masterful. Like that page from Brian Duffel is executed to perfection. So you know there's a difference between doing it masterfully and beautifully and doing it just to do it. You want to be very careful about doing it just to do it. It it also serves a purpose in his story. I mean, it, it creates that mood that you talked about. I I don't know. I don't think it's like the first page in the script, is it? Like, I don't. No, think no, no, the no. The, the, the page that the, the, the script, like that we're all comes from, comes from like page like 60 some in the like i was like i said i just watched the movie the other thing that the movie is that the script that this page is not telling you is that the movie is done with no dialogue yeah that's the other thing yeah yeah it has no dialogue in the film like other than like crowd background noise that i don't think any of it was necessarily scripted it sounds like 80 yard in like later or something like that but there's Mm -hmm. no dialogue from the to the main character or anything there's no like no voiceover the the whole thing is done very visually like there's this whole thing where they're just like 
not to spoil anything, but they're like, it, you know, you don't know whether or not this person lives alone, but then they have Ooh. you, she's like a very anxiety written character. She's like not talking to people. She's practicing smiling in the mirror, like that kind of thing. But then like, you see her very casually just having like a picnic moment, like just mm -hmm. quiet by herself. And you're like, wow, what place is she this comfortable where she can just like chill and be herself? Oh, it's at her mother's grave. So you're like yeah. instantly telling the audience <laughs> like so much. Like Dude, that's, that's, that's all on the page. That's, that's masterful. Yeah. That's masterful screenwriting. Right. Like I can't stress enough. The dude's a beast. Like <laughs> what you just described to me is like what my professor was telling me in, in college about like how you tell a story. <laughs> like, yeah, it's is, all show don't tell. There, none it, of it is tell. There's no just sounds at all. Yeah, it just sounds like a brilliantly executed screenplay. That's I mean, at the end of the day, that's really what's happening here and i it's just like i said like, not to like you know try to i don't want to burst people's bu you know bubbles but although it's necessary sometimes i just can't stress enough how much i mean just based on how you're describing it it just sounds like a great script that led to a great movie and it was bolstered by some really dope creative choices that were then also executed greatly i just you i, I can't stress to new writers enough that like you you don't you can't just whip that stuff out just because so i'm sure a lot of thought and tact went into why he did it and also like i said it's not the first page it's not like you know it's pretty deep into the script and it's ideally deep into the script right yeah ideally you've been drawn into the story you know by leaps and bounds by the time you got you had that dropped dropped on you so yeah it, it's like brian duffel it has who already has an incredible repertoire like or reputation rather is now he's gonna he he builds trust he builds trust in in his storytelling and to where he does that on page 60 or whatever and it works and it makes sense. Writers need to understand that they have to build that trust first. Well, this all this is actually a really great segue into the target, the topic of this week, which yeah, is we, we, now that now that he's built trust with his nerding out with us, now we can formally meet <laughs> right. Dave. Yeah. I would because I was thinking about this like in terms of the three of us. And well, I do want to I do want to do this as it also as an interview of Dave because I want everybody to get to know Dave. But I was thinking about this because I've I follow Dave pretty heavily on Twitter, and I know okay you do as well. This, this I even is the thing. I even played Dave ski ball once, and he he beat my score. <laughs> <laughs> Classic, yeah. But like, like really I, I, I think about this like Dave, you've been on the blacklist blacklist. You know what I mean? Like not yeah, like like got an eight like a thing like no you got the ones where people are like these are the great scripts that everybody wrote this year and why the fuck aren't they being funded like that's that's, <laughs> the, that's the blacklist blacklist so you've been on the blacklist blacklist k tuxford you are literally a a a teacher of these of the screenwriting uh craft as well as true. a person those are facts Right, as, a, as well as a person with a master's, a master's degree. Your title yes. literally says you are a master of this yes. craft. And I myself have uh, made uh, three and a half feature films. And I, I've, <laughs> <laughs> that half, huh? 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> but like, you know, and I've also optioned several screenplays from Gettysburg. So it, like I I feel like each one of us has a sort of handle on the craft of screenwriting. And yet, and yet, I still find myself seeking out things like Brian Duffield's uh script page and other things. And I, you know, and always seeking out new like insightful like i just finished bill goldman's adventures in the screen trade which k tuxford has been trying to get me to read for years <laughs> and nice. i feel nice. like i was like wow like i really should have read this so so yes. much earlier in my yes. career like holy shit and, it, and uh, you better read which lie did i tell which oh, i am it's almost it's, better it's okay next on my list like i, I like I, I'm, I'm here for it now but i'm looking at the like that book is is to screenwriting, I think, what Rebel Without a Crew is to indie filmmaking. Like, it just is. And, mm -hmm. but at the same time, like, I, each one of us is still constantly looking for something, for ways to improve our craft. There is never a point where I think any of us is thinking, you know, I got it. I got a handle on this whole screenwriting thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm good. I don't need to 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 learn this fountain of knowledge. I'm right. good. I'm good. My thirst has been quenched. <laughs> I mean, so I feel I feel like some people do, do, do that though. That's what I'm saying. Some people do, but it, this the, yeah. the like the craft of screenwriting is a moving fucking target. Like you yeah. think you've got it all handled, you think that the the screenwriting is this, and then you see Brian Duffield's page where you're just like <laughs> shit. Damn, you I can do I knew that. What was up. Yeah. What the? Oh, come on, man. I would, I'm just, ah, oh, they changed. God damn it. No, that's so good. Oh, fuck. But, but hey, oh. I mean, look at the other 89 pages. They're probably, like I said, they're probably in <laughs> uh, normal screenwriting format, you know? Right. But that is, yeah, that, it is funny, though, that I think you, you do bring up a fair point of like when people are looking for answers and the craft evolves so much and then sometimes some really gimmicky scripts are are what put someone on the map or or you know get picked up or financed and all that stuff and and we we wish we could you know create a one-to-one -one understanding of all right if i do this then i get success like this it, the industry is so nuanced beyond comprehension that it, it really it's always going to fall back to writing something great like no matter what you do <laughs> It just right. has to be great. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Every that's once in a while, there's a no one can save you or a quiet place or a get yeah. out. You know, like one of these screenplays that just comes out and just like just beats everyone upside the head with its dick and just is just like, oh, okay, <laughs> we've all got to pay attention to this now. Everybody's got it. There's a new paradigm, everybody. Everybody pay attention. <laughs> I remember when Kate came out and I was like watching this, and I was like, somebody wrote this and like this, there, these. These action lines are haiku, uh, haikus. What is this? <laughs> Who wrote yeah. this? You know what I mean? It's insanity. But that script sold. You know, there's every time like that kind of thing happens, you know, you're just, you, you're taking a new look at screenwriting. And I just feel like each of us with our own individual experiences is still looking for ways to improve our craft in order to stay, not even a part of the conversation, but just so that like your screenwriting doesn't just go stale because i feel like every time you're yeah. doing it you're trying to figure out like you know a, another way to save the cat to pun intended a better I a better way to do it yeah 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 i think, I think so. that's i think you brought up another good point about i think i think that that's something you said there about like not being stale i think that's 
I think that's a legitimate goal for even newer writers that it's pretty safe to try and do. That doesn't mean that you need to have a Brian Duffel page on every fifth page of your script. You don't, you don't really need to do that. You can still have a, like a totally boring format to your script, but you know, that's when, that's kind of when, when voice comes into play, you know, you don't want to supplement voice with all these other theatrics and all this other really crazy formatting, putting like personality into your writing but not overdoing it, uh, you know, whatever. I think that's why voice is so important because voice is it's just so unique to you. And a lot of, you know, I would say that the majority of scripts that an, an, an exec reads are stale. Not yeah. bad, stale, you know. Every, everything is, it's just like the most boring pound cake, you know, because writers are playing it a little too safe. So, you know, it, it's, it's like 90% stale scripts, 5%, rather 8% really, really bad scripts. And then 2%, like, great scripts. You want to avoid stale probably just as much as bad. Because <laughs> that's, 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 that's what that giant stack of scripts is. It's just stale scripts of, of people who are, like, almost on the other side of the Brian Duffel thing a little too hard. A little bit like, you can never do this, ever. Your grammar has to be perfect. No crazy nothing in the, on the, in the background of your page. There's a lot of those. There's even more of those scripts out there that now granted you know some of them you don't need to do anything fancy to write a great script it's just is it a great story is it really well executed that's first that's all that matters really but i think i think writers sometimes the conversation is is stemming from writers who are on the other end of the spectrum who are too scared to do things that are really cool and so you know there's been kind of a a counterculture to that also, I I think I just picked up some news. By the way, my my friends, my group chat friends are. I, it might be strike related. Breaking news. <laughs> oh yeah, we we were recording when Betty White died. So will this top that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm really. It's pretty hopeful. cool to be here with you guys when with this happening. It's so yeah. great to be chatting with with Kay. <laughs> with, this, with, the, with this potential stuff i'm hearing i am, yeah. I am okay okay well we can't take it we can't take a break now. we gotta go we gotta keep yeah, going yeah. this is this high yeah, yeah, yeah. so dave while you're while you're distracted this is like the hot ones while like people are like, <laughs> fireworks in the street tell us it's for the people who don't know you who are listening to this podcast and going who is this gentlemen with all these great insightful points shutting down my dreams about my crazy formatting yeah we, we want to get to know you too for the podcast and rob do you want to ask rob always asks this question rob do you want to ask your signature question well i just wanted to know dave how did you get into this business of show <laughs> oh my god okay um, um sorry hold on my my uh my phone is blowing up i think that's a very good sign folks um, mine too that's what i was saying yeah yes yeah. <laughs> Uh, AMPTP is trending. Oh, shit. Okay. The WGA and AMPTP have officially reached a tentative deal on a new contract. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, man. Yeah, that's that's why I got all these notifications. Yes. Uh, this there's came a lot from, coming on. Yeah, WGA contract. Uh, dear members, we have reached a tentative agreement. On a 2023 MBA, which is to say an agreement in principle on all deal points subject to drafting final contract language. Whoa. Wow. I love it. I'm I'm happy to be right here with the, the two of you right That's now. Crazy. Wow. The that is the eye of the hurricane. It's great. So 146 days. Woo! Jeez, yeah. Everybody, 
I, I hope everybody is toasting tonight having a little dance celebrating. And I hope those deal points, the, the last little bit they've got to sew together. I hope that goes well. That's, what, um, that's the fun part. <laughs> okay, Dave, back to you. Yeah. All right. Yeah, um, I, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, better I'm, than Betty White. I mean, that I'm was, that happy. was a moment. <laughs> this is exciting. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm more than happy to just, you know, celebrate, turn this into just a, a party. I, I, I will. I don't know if our listeners are going to be like, you know, two days later, we're just like, Whoop. Yeah, whoa, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah awesome. this is so crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, how I got in, uh, man, where do I begin? I'll, I'll just give you the really, like, short, skimpy, straightforward version of it. So in 2020, in 2020, I wrote this script called Clementine. It's like an action thriller. And at the end of 2021, it so many things had to go right. I, man, it, it, so many things had to go right. But basically, it, it did really, really well, like, on the Blacklist website at first, not, you know, it, eventually it got on the list, but I mean, like, the website, it got a 9 out of 10 on the Blacklist website. I was able to kind of hustle that into a bunch of meetings with different reps. I met Mitchell Bendersky at Gramercy Park, and he was extremely passionate about it and was extremely passionate about me. And before I knew it, I had choices in front of me, which was really crazy. And then Clementine got optioned in Feb 2022. It was a pretty wild experience, and and they're trying to make it for like a ten million dollar budget. So wow. that also led to Clementine was used to get me like a ton of general meetings as well. I also signed with Verve last June. Love those dudes, and that led to even more meetings. It was really it was really chaos for for about a year and change. About a hundred plus generals and. I was I pitched on like ten OWAs, got none of them, so that was awesome. Speaking of like putting in a ton of free work and trying to keep your expectations at zero, that's literally how the industry runs from an, a screenwriting perspective. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, like I just to get slightly more into the nitty gritty, just in case, I'll, I'll only share this in the hopes that like in the off chance that it helps other writers. Yeah. But basically. I was a semifinalist for the Austin Film Festival in 2021 for a pilot. And when I was getting ready to go there, Joey from Roadmap was like, they were like creating roundtables. And one of them featured a finance agent from CAA. Her name is Julia Glaussi. So I was I was able to get into that. You know, only nine writers were able to get in. And I was very fortunate to, to get myself and, and a friend of mine in. And when I met Julia, she and I hit it off. I, you know, I, I later discovered that I was the only writer that she wanted to read a script from. So I, I was very, very lucky. Ooh. And yeah, it was really crazy. One of the things I pitched to her was Clementine and she wasn't, she didn't, she wasn't super interested in that at first. And then the blacklist thing happened like a month later. So I, it's because of Roadmap and AFF that I even met Julia. And then a month later, I get the nine on the blacklist and she was interested in reading that script. And then she fell in love with it. And then we had a meeting the following week where she declared that she she wanted to uh, package it, take it out, you know? So that was really trippy. Around the same time, Joey from Roadmap, again, was extremely kind. And he was like, oh, you know, Julia likes this. And it's, you know, it's, it's doing really well. You're already getting meetings. And, like, we can also kind of help you. But by that time, I've already had, like, a, 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 you know, a relationship with Joey. I was, like, not necessarily a client them i got some consultations in, in years past but i got to, i know some of the staff really well uh kind of because of that so 
and again, that's that's why my process, my way of breaking in was is so intricate because you know if I if I didn't do any one thing, you know who knows. So, but yeah, that led to meeting even more managers, like a ton more. I am one of the, one of which was Mitchell, and so yeah, that's kind of how. And also, Julia Glossy is the one who sent it to Paperclip, who optioned it, and that's how we are here today. And it is it's in the process of getting made. We have a director, we have a lead actress, and. and they're trying to shoot either in Miami, Florida or Columbia, which is wild. And like I said, $10 million budget. And so it's, it's just a really, and the director who is attached, he discuss, he reached out to us after he read it off the blacklist. So that's like a really crazy, cool thing to get off of like, you know, the, the annual blacklist is that's how he discovered it. So just to kind of, you know, hopefully some of those details can inspire people. What what it really was, I mean, and not to mention other stuff I did, like, you know, top five in Big Break that year, getting it considered for coverage ink and stuff. And I, I, I can't stress enough, like, I was like, I was very fortunate to be kind of in, in the mix and, and like a bunch of different screenwriting things, like contests and coverage things and fellowships and what have you. I just got my, I got so much of my work out there that year that it was, it was just ridiculous. And I'd been writing for so long and based on the feedback I was getting consistently from objective, you know, readers, I felt strongly that I was probably ready. And it's just a matter of getting the right reads and creating opportunities and hustling and being not a douche. And finding, finding your tribe, right? Yeah, um, because if you if you had brought Clementine, no matter how great it was to a rom com loving production company, they would have been like, "You seem great, but we we have nothing. We cannot help <laughs> you with this, you know, crime thriller gone wrong story." You know, so it's about you know, it's about finding your people too. Oh, oh for sure. What, what what's interesting is that that's mostly true. What I've discovered, though, as far as like you know, getting generals. <laughs> I mean, my my reps have sent my stuff to anyone. Um, <laughs> so, like, not to mention how agnostic so many production companies are these days. They're making where a lot of them are making a, a wide variety of things. And so, you know, the more flexible you are as a writer, it's probably the better. But it feels like these places are becoming less and less strict about the genres that they make but you know that's that's true after the fact that's true after i got wrapped and all that stuff even even then like I, I my manager really loves comedy i can tell that it's his favorite genre he loves weird stuff you know but he he gravitated to this very straightforward thriller and i it's so funny because like based on what i know about him it doesn't even feel like his style so it, the emphasis really is just on i'm not saying that you know clementine is what i wrote is great but the emphasis really is on having the goal of writing something great. Like no matter what, people are going to are going to respond to it. <laughs> but you know, you're still right. There are, there are those places that are very specific. But you know, hopefully, if it's man, it's 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 very nuanced. I I don't even know how to say what I'm thinking about saying about it. Well, I think at least in terms of your manager, the the thing with your manager is I think one of the things that that the industry really likes based on the fact that they keep making these like, you know, knives out kind of movie-ish kind of things. And like the, 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 we've really seen sort of a rise of the, I, I want to say post-noir kind of thriller, you know, where there's, there's, you know, sort of like that, 
David Fincher kind of feel to it, but or somewhere between like Dave Fincher and and Ryan Johnson, like those things just seem to work. And people are just, especially if you can do them for a for like a low budget. Everybody always seems to be looking for panic room, <laughs> like and after all these you, years, yeah, it just they. <laughs> They just they fucking they fucking love it, and if you get it, it's one of those things that can just make noise because to make that sort of contained thriller kind of thing work, which is again what you know what no one can save you is, is very much sort of like that contained thriller, except in this one it's a contained alien invasion. You know, like what people just love that shit, and it's it's one of those things because it's like what's our main location. All right, we're going to be here like that kind of thing. You know, everybody, like I, yeah. like I tell you, the, I've told you, K. Tuxford, like after your friend Henry wrote the, the standoff at Sparrows Creek, everybody yeah, right. and their fucking mother, like every time I took it, like a meet people were like, we need another one of those, like the standoff at Sparrows Creek. Just fucking like they fucking love that shit, man. And, and, and when he made, when he made it, he knew he was doing a one location thriller. He, yeah. he knew like, and, mm. and and I know because I saw many drafts. That's that's true friendship is when you read somebody's script more than once and want them to win and achieve things. Because in this industry, sometimes once is a lot of an ask. But yeah, he always <laughs> yeah. knew it was going to be a contained thriller. And I think right. I think knowing that and and aiming for that is always just a, like a really good or low budget. It doesn't always have to be contained. But I think. I think keeping the budget in mind, even though I, I, my students ask me this all the time, they're like, should I write for budget or should I write for, you know, what makes, you know, what makes me feel like it's my best writing? And I'm like, honestly, Both. you should consider budget. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Both. I was like, because there's only so many production companies in town that can afford a big budget. If you have a smaller budget project, suddenly you have a lot more, uh, your dance card might be full. A lot more people are like, oh, I could. I could do something with that. So it's, yeah, the it's things, not a bad way to go. Yeah. yeah. My first option was Sovereign. And that was, you know, very much like, a, a, again, like one of those contained thrillers. Like this is a doomsday movie, a, a doomsday prepper movie, you know, masquerading as an alien invasion. Like that, so that sort of thing. Like people loved that. I had another one called Shotgun Makes Four. And like even the one pager for that, people were like, ooh, you know, it's just like one of those things. If you can do that contained thriller thing people love that shit they or just horror, or horror, or horror. yep also works. I'm, I'm, I'm working on my micro budget fifi still right now which rob you've been yelling at me about and yep. it all takes place in one house with a, a house sitter thinking they're feeding somebody's cat but it is a demon and oh, that's yeah. why oh, you no. should not be a house sitter people <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that that's necessarily the the, the argument against house sitting but i can certainly see it it is an argument against feeling street animals the, the <laughs> Anyway, like, but here's the, the question I want to ask you, David, like in, in your thing, as we're talking about screenwriting as a moving target, where do you sort of look for not necessarily inspiration, but things that sort of, that can level you up as a, as a screenwriter, even as, even with your accomplishments and like, and your statuses as a represented writer, as people you have, you know, you're taking meetings with people and stuff like that. But at the same time, you know, it's like you said, we're trying not to get stale. So where do you find like ways to like, to get that step? So two things come to mind. I would say the biggest influence on, the biggest influence on my writing is, is movies, which I, crazy, absurd. But um, <laughs> I, that's, I think that's, 
Scott. I think it's kind of, yeah, I know. It's it's kind of a, it, it is, to be fair, it's kind of a personal thing where I'm, I'm a very visual storyteller. I always want my screenplays not to feel like screenplays. I want them to feel like movies. And so I, I get my biggest inspiration from, from movies, from the voice that comes from the delivery of the actors. I want my characters to, to pop off the page the same way that this actor is making this character pop. The other thing I would say, I get the, I probably just as much inspiration, perhaps even more from just, you know, really good friends who happen to be fantastic writers. Again, I'm very lucky to be in a position where I have a bunch of really great, talented writers, you know, some of which are accomplishing things in this industry, you know, writing for network shows or selling feature specs to studios and been very lucky uh, to curate, you know, those relationships and with people who keep me on my toes, you know, they're, I'm, I like, you, you want to be jealous every once in a while of your really good writer friends and be like, you know, well, screw you, man. I'm going to, I'm going to invent some new language. I'm going to do some Brian Duffel shit and blow your mind, you know? <laughs> Something yeah. like that. So it's just really, it's all easier said than done, but it, it's really about like, I, I think getting a nice nucleus of, friend writers obviously also but i would say those are my two personal things for for writers out there it really just comes down to reading scripts as many as you can but also over time understanding what to look for in different scripts and what different writers are trying to accomplish it's oftentimes that no you know no two writers are the exact same there are some writers who write just like brian duffield who would never do that one page thing there are some writers who are like wired like that, but like go extreme or do something else, you know, or would never write in that genre. I mean, Quentin Tarantino's stuff is surprisingly straightforward. And yes, all, yet also, well, from a technical standpoint, not necessarily from a storytelling standpoint, you know, people like Aaron Sorkin, his stuff is just loaded with dialogue. So that's why his 168 page script is, is really, you know, if, if the dialogue was written by normal writers, it would probably be 110 pages. So you have to be very, you have to, you have to over time kind of understand what you're getting out of different scripts. One of the best screenplays I ever read was also like one of the most basic as far as formatting and voice. And that's uh, Raising Arizona is a script that heavily inspired me. It just, because it just moved so quickly. I would say that for writers out there, when in doubt, you want your script to move. You want your script to, to have a really great crackling energy. If you have that, no matter what you're doing, you know, format-wise, voice-wise, if you have that, you have a really good shot. People are reading hundreds of scripts, you know, a week. They <laughs> The faster your script moves, the better. Yeah, that, is, that is true. I, I get so many happy people that are like, I sat down and I finished this in 30 minutes. Like, yeah. I'm, having a, I'm having a great day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can brighten someone's day with a great script. That is a fact. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Rob, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, like, I, I think, you know... I was I was saying for me that the the script, you know, his raising Arizona was my Michael Clayton. You know, when I read that oh, script, yeah. I was just like, "Fuck me, that's good." Oh Bang. god, and that movie too, like that movie again, straightforward thriller kind of. You know what I mean? But like it's it it's doing a lot, but the dialogue in that movie is is doing this wonderful thing where it is expositioning without without being exposition you know what i mean it's giving out exposition as dialogue and you're listening to it and it's like so you know you could have you know 
what's why can't your brother you know where's your brother or something like that and he's just yeah. like i don't know with the with the with the wife with the the mistress you know like you know, <laughs> the thing you know what i mean like he's given the guy like you know whatever it's just an answer but at the same time he's telling us so much about the characters and i'm just like oh you hit it in the, oh you son of a bitch oh it's so good I mean, oh it's, it's not God. fair. It's it's Tony Gilroy. It's not fair. It's not even oh. really worth. It's not even probably a good idea to read that. It's no. I'm just... gonna say I. I mean, Tony's so good, but I am Team Dan. Dan, I still. Oh, Dan, call. you want to talk you. about formatting? Um, yes. Nightcrawler is it's out of. Good. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure how they shot that. To be honest, it's out of control. <laughs> that script. That is like. But also, the writing is phenomenal. The story is phenomenal. The characters unforgettable. These are I masters. Mean, of what crap. choice do you have when your brother is also a screenwriter? Talking right, about right, right. like, like jealous and competitive, you're like, well, I guess Oof. we're gonna have to outdo do Tony. Like, wow. yeah, right. I was so happy you know, my sister's like, a doctor. You know, Kazda has <laughs> two two kids who write, and I was just like, man, I would not want to. Like, I would not want to have my my dad be Lawrence Kasdan. Like that 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 would. <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ. You know what I mean? Like fucking Raiders. Like, that's why I gotta oh Jesus. Oh fuck you, Dad. Oh man. I didn't know this, but uh Tony Gilroy's daughter was on the blacklist last year. I didn't know that until like oh, wow. uh, like a month ago. I was like, What? Um, but I it, I can't imagine Tony Gilroy being my dad and I'm out here trying to succeed Hustle. as a screenwriter. Yeah, that's, scripts, kind of, yeah. that's kind of crazy. Like so that's where oof. Uncle Dan is just being like, get him, you know. <laughs> Together <laughs> yeah. we Uncle... can team up against Tony. Yeah, Dan is like the come to the dark side. Let me show you <laughs> <laughs> the nightcrawler side. Let's cut the Yeah. The yeah. Side. yeah. Yeah. It's so I mean just you know so I, I also want to ask you, K Tuxford, you know, mm-hmm. not just like where do you go to get inspiration for new screenplays and 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 as you write yeah i think i think for me the the i hate that this resonated with me because it was an article with joss whedon who is not a (laughs) person that we should look up to in any which way but when i read it and he was mentioning how when he's not working he spends a lot of time filling his self on art and theater and movies and just soaking it up and i felt like for a creator Regardless of him being Joss Whedon, it's a very true statement, which is that I spend a lot of time watching and experiencing and, you know, going and living life, which that sounds so stupid. I'm sorry. I'm like, ah, I go live life and I have inspiration. But usually the ideas that stick with me are things that are happening uh, that I experience firsthand. And then I get to ask wonderful questions like, uh, as we've mentioned for Fifi, the script I'm working on, I adopted a shy cat that I couldn't get out from under the bed for like a month. And I thought, you know, it's really crazy that I, you know, there's just noises and crazy stuff around the house at night. And I thought, I will never think it's a ghost or a demon because I'm just going to always blame it on the cat. And that became <laughs> the demon cat story only because I happened to adopt a shy cat. So yeah, it does come from life experiences, but I think it also comes from like, since I do have that like, biology science background from my undergrad you know it's really just asking questions and being like wouldn't this be I mean my life is just my regular basic life but you know if you can put that touch of extraordinary and you know another one I had man this goes back to film school but I was at a doctor's office and I think down the hall was like an STD clinic and I peeked in as I passed by and no judgment obviously these people are taking care of their health but there was a guy chatting up a girl and I said 
what if a rom-com occurred waiting for your STD results? And I wrote an entire short film around that. And they were actually like two of the sweetest characters. And so like, it's just going about your life, but then asking really great dramatic questions. So that's my really around, you know, basic answer. I love the idea of thinking about, of, of, of examining everything. I think that's one of the reasons why I love YouTube so much. I find a, you know, being able to sort of explore beyond the surface level of things, I think keeps me interested in, a, you know, in, a, in things. And like, like sort of like you said, Kate Tuxford, like questions like come to me and then I'll think of them. Like for me, like one of my favorite things that I, that I thought of recently was like, you know, I had this question in my head that was like, what if, what if Tony Stark went on Joe Rogan after the first Avengers movie. Like, <laughs> what would that look like? Right. What would that look like? You know what I mean? Because I was thinking about like when Barack Obama did Marin and like how much of a big podcast that was. And when Musk went on Joe Rogan, that was another big podcast. You know what I mean? It was one of those things that everybody was talking about. And I was like, you want to, here's a podcast that literally everyone and their fucking mother would be listening to would be if Tony Stark went on Joe Rogan after like <laughs> just immediately following the Battle of New York. Like everyone would like want to hear the fuck, because he would have like Joe Rogan's a moron and he would have all these stupid questions like about what's it like to work with a demigod, you know, and things like that. You know what I mean? Or like how hot Black Widow was. I would be there for all of it. All of it. Maybe entertaining be, questions. Right. It would be so fucking amazing. I was like, God damn it. Oh, that's such a good movie. Oh, man. And then you realize you, you write... made the movie and it was right. only in your head. I was head. like, oh, man, I, I got to write this now. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Yeah, you got to write that. That's in my, that's gotta, in my brain now. I think that's the thing is... Hero. You ask a question and the question's so good, you have to answer it. Right. <laughs> oh, no. And I asked it, yeah. And then you Oh, shit. Oh, no, I did this to myself. I've done it again. <laughs> no, not again. Dave, do you recall a time when you came up with an idea that was like maybe unconventional or an awkward place to suddenly get a really great idea? An awkward place. It could be sitting on the toilet. It could be at a funeral you know these are two uh, options yeah. but there's more i mean the toilet is a classic totally. right before bed right before bed is probably the most common when i'm trying to sleep when you're like Usually, brain, relax don't think of anything yeah, this is not the time for this and your brain's like this is totally the time for this i think half the time it's from watching a movie i think like a scene or something makes me feel a certain way it's like a certain mood or a certain lighting and oftentimes, like, a scene will come to me and a feeling will come to me and it, it'll just, like, sprout these really cool, this really cool concept and, and the characters will come to me. It's usually, usually while, which, you know, ironically enough, is kind of, like, inconvenient. Literally, while I'm watching a movie, I'm you thinking about... You can't pay attention to the movie, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about the next movie I want to write now because this movie inspired me. So, yeah, that's pretty stupid uh, in, a, in a movie theater. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you there because I literally will do when I'm writing something. One of the things that I will do is I will create a video playlist, like a movie playlist of things that I'm that that sort of inspire me or I think that will inspire me as mm -hmm. I'm writing this screenplay. 
And so for me, like I'm, I, I will do it. And then I will, I, I go into it as a person who is, you know, trying to deconstruct what is happening on screen. And, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know. I find that very like, you know, that mode, the sort of like you're listening to the dialogue with new ears almost like you're at this point, you're, you're in a, you're in a, you're, you're actively trying to deconstruct. So you're listening to it to the like, why is this line here? Why is this scene here? What is this for? What are we learning? Especially movies that you've already seen. You know what I mean? What are we necessarily taking from this? How is this, you know, feeding this character's journey in this moment? You know, those sort of things. And so being able to go through it with those sort of new ears and eyes of the deconstructionist's ears and eyes and being able to sit down and stuff like that. Like, I remember seeing a page from Raiders that Harrison Ford had written on. And I was like, wow. Just like being able to look at like, you know, where like even that script, which everybody holds up and lauds is one of the best screenplays of all time. You know, like here's a place where Harrison Ford had like, nope, not going to say that word. This line is superfluous. <laughs> You know, like going through and just be like, nope, don't need to do this. Nope, this person should have this line. You know what I mean? Like he had just gone through and I was just like, holy shit. Like this is this is a sickness. You know what I mean? And trying to go through it like that and being like, all right, this is what made it to from the page to like the screen. And like this is all here for a reason. And trying to take that kind of like deconstructionist eye and look at, take a look at the screen and just be like, how did they get here? You know, like, what is this scene trying to do? You know, that sort of thing. And also poking it for for logic holes. <laughs> There's <laughs> certain movies where you're just like, no. Oh? No. <laughs> you know, that if, if a movie can surprise me um, and be like, wow, I didn't, wow, okay, yeah, no, that didn't see that one coming. There's a moment in the in the first 10 minutes of, 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 of Brian Duffield's, like, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to keep talking about this movie uh, of No One Can Save You. I'm just like, oh, okay. Wow. All right. Wow. Wow. I was literally watching it with my cousin. Like, we were both watching it. And both of us were just like, oh, wow. You know, just like this this moment came out of nowhere. You know what I mean? It's like one of those things. And if you can, like, find, like, those little ways that that, like, that can surprise you. But it doesn't have to be things like that. It's also, like, the first five minutes of Up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, where you're just oh man. Yeah, where suddenly suddenly first 10 minutes, really. Yeah, yeah it's like the first 10 minutes of up where suddenly you didn't realize that your body is made of 70% water, but now it's coming <laughs> out of you. <laughs> it's about to be 40%, yeah. Right. <laughs> after these after we're I, done with these tears. I agree. I okay, so I wanna even though I love the nerding out, I always try to we have some newer listeners who are newer writers, so I always try to make sure they get a a little bit of tidbits, uh, you know, info that they can go forward with. And one of the things I'm kind of, I'm experiencing this with my own students who are writing their first feature. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you know, Rob, but Dave, last semester, I had my students read Clementine and then they got to talk to Dave about it. Um, so I know, I know. And to be so fair, cool. usually... My students poo-poo any script I give them because they're very early <laughs> on in the filmmaking process, but they actually like Dave. And I think I got cooler in their eyes a little bit because of Dave. So I, I've, awesome. you gave me some Hell cred. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Classic Kate Tuxford just using people for street cred. I'm just, that's not here for it. Well, this um, podcast, the streets you know. of Chapman. 
The fact um, if, if I have that power, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> I'm so glad to get more and more cred. Yeah, I was like, it's just one street between the parking garage and the college, but I'm <laughs> I'm hit. Yeah. So one thing I was going to say is I think a lot of writers are kind of shifting the question. Usually, I mean, the, a lot of writers ask early writers, how do I get repped? How do I get repped? How do I get read? Right. Yeah. But I think there's like a better question going out there, which is like, how do you tell people about yourself as a writer? Like, how do you get people Ooh. interested in like, I'm going to say the word brand. I don't love the word brand, but like, how yeah. do you kind of decide what your, what, what it is that encompasses you as a writer? And how did you find that first? This is two part. How did you find that for yourself? Even, and I know it's probably evolving as we all evolve. And how would you recommend somebody still exploring that about themselves? Kind of dig deep and find that. Well, I, I feel like there's two parts to this question. One is like, how do you yeah. get people to know about your writing? And the other is like, how do you discover your brand and stuff like that? So I, that's what I think I, I heard. Yes. But, um, so I'll start with the, uh, the first part. How do you get people to like, read you? How do you yeah. get people, <laughs> exactly. How do you get people to read you? You know, what's fascinating about this question is, man, if you, if, like, if you really, really want to succeed in this industry, that can't you can't you you shouldn't be asking that question for like a, a long time you should just be focused on writing great stuff then getting it out there as much as possible you know whether it be via contests or through i highly recommend a lot of uh, roadmaps stuff <laughs> like getting consultations and all that jazz you know being active on social media is good you know for all its faults it's to be completely honest it's it's a good idea to like connect with other writers online and read their stuff and kind of grow this nucleus of, you know, find your, like you said, find your tribe, you know, on, on Twitter of other writers that are kind of in the same boat ish. And then, you know, if people love your stuff, they'll shout you out, you know, that stuff can matter for sure. And uh, it can't hurt to be shouted out. You just have to set expectations. So I would say those, those three things, but, you know, I think writers, especially younger writers have to be very, very careful about, trying to get out as ASAP. You have to be so patient. It's such a marathon. It's exciting to like, you know, try to get your stuff out there as soon as possible, but your first priority should just be writing really great stuff, really cool stuff uh, that you yourself love. And then hopefully other people love. With that said, to answer the question, well, I, I guess I did kind of answer the question. It's like, you know, contest roadmap. You do have to be very selective with contests. In my opinion, I would say just go for like pipeline, nickel, you know, maybe Austin page. And that's really, that's honestly, that's kind of about it. You know, I'm on a good, good day, maybe big break, but, but there's other stuff like coverage Inc. They run like a get rep now season every year that I highly recommend. And then the blacklist like website, getting an eval. If you get like an eight or above you're in like the newsletter, that kind of stuff. There's even websites, you know, for how controversial it, it may be. There's like script shadow, stuff like that. So. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm sorry. You just, threw me uh, back a decade a strip, a script shadow is still, still going, going strong? it's still going wow. strong so yeah, okay. yeah yeah so that's how my friend yeah, my best friend got got a uh, got his stuff kind of that's how he got repped was was through uh, script shadow oh cool so, what's his name jason gruage you know i think you know oh, jason. jason okay yeah okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He, I he, yeah he got... i didn't know his origin story okay yeah. it was script shadow so and i didn't yeah. i didn't know who your best friend was now we're learning key details about you yeah yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of, the thing is, as a writer, you, you're going to discover all these different ways. Like, it's just, it's bound to happen. I, I don't know if anyone necessarily needs someone like myself to tell them. I, I think you're just going to, you're going to gossip in college and, 
or among your other writer friends and it's just going to come to you naturally it's really just a matter of like making sure that you write dope stuff that's as dope as humanly possible as for your brand now that's a super interesting question for sure i don't i honestly i don't even know what my brand is i'm just uh i guess the thing is, is like i always tell young writers i'm like go meet people I was like, don't mm. expect them to like grab your script and run with it, but they should remember who you are. And maybe like a year or two from now, they could be like, oh my gosh, my friend Dave, my friend Rob, they write X, Y, Z. And I'm working at this company and they're looking for X, Y, Z now. Like you want to kind of mm. be like a little, a little, a little piece on the back of their mind. They have to know something about you, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what I've just discovered what i've discovered and this is going to sound so cheeseball so please forgive me but like you, you almost have to treat great storytelling like it's its own genre that has to be your brand regardless of what what you're telling like if it's horror sci-fi you know crime stuff and not not that you're saying this but i know some other people who kind of make the mistake of saying oh well my brand is sci-fi and da, da, da. it's like no no is your brand like you know talking about lost relationships or like you know down and out characters who have redemption arcs that kind of thing if you if you feel like a, a you know there's a through line through all of your scripts with that said i think what's so what's so interesting about brand it's like you can't go wrong if you really if you feel like your brand is like super conflicted characters with like a you know with shitty moms because you had mom issues yourself that's like a legitimate brand. That's like a legitimate thing that you can tell an exec. If anything, it's probably good not to. Uh, no, that's that's not that's not the right thing to say. Actually, no. Um, it's okay in this day and age to write uh, different genres. It's a okay. There's like I said before. There's so many production companies that are super genre agnostic. They like no one is like looking at <clears throat> like Clementine is this really straightforward crime thriller set in real time you know the cartels involved there's like shootouts and stuff like that but i've pitched i pitched on um a, a story about toys coming to life you know that was like supposed to be like pg-13 i've pitched on like horror stuff twice so i pitched on like comedy stuff like a comedy sci-fi thing and all of these people read the same script they read clementine which is nothing is nothing like those other things so that's why the brand really, you know, there's too many writers out there. There's too many scripts being read by execs for them to really keep track of everyone's brands. Your brand has to be just great. It just has to be great. It just has to be, your script has to be great. That's what's going to make people want to meet you. That's why, that's what people will remember you for is writing a great script. With that said though, like I'm, I'm in the camp that like you can do either or like, if you don't know what your brand is, that's fine. If you do, that's also fine, in my opinion. And I, the only advice I would, I would give is to be very cautious about like pigeonholing yourself into a certain genre. It's like, if you, if you can, kind of veered away from, oh, my brand is this type, type of genre, and more like, well, what are you doing with those genres? Are you talking about trauma or whatever with those dramas? Are you talking about, you know, working in Wall Street, but you're setting it like way in the future and and that kind of stuff. I would I would say focus more on on storytelling elements more so than than genre when when you're talking about your brand. I think I think that's a good point. I know uh, in roadmap I had to take a genre like a brand class, and many people did pick genres they like to write, which is great. And but mm -hmm. I I don't know if you felt this way. I hadn't thought about it, but I had a breadth of scripts 
And I looked at them and I said, what's in every one of my scripts? So I can be honest, but I don't be genre you know, specific. And I said, yes. in every one of my scripts, there's a smart, angry woman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great brand. Yeah, um, and I, that's brand, what people are like, right. Yeah. I'm like, smart, angry women. And, and people I love look it. And I've I've said that to people and they go, Yes, I get you. I, am, I, so I get some I get some ideas for you. And I think I think it's noticing patterns about yourself or motifs than sitting there and going, I'm pigeonholed into this. That's I think that's the the, the perfect brand. I uh, give me the opportunity to, to boost the ego, please. Uh, because that's literally what I'm talking about. That's like uh-huh. that's like if, when an exec hears that or even a rep hears that, they go, Okay, I can see that how that can be applied to the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie. There, there could be a smart, angry woman in that movie. I can see how it could be applied to a horror thing. There could be a horror about where, where the protagonist right. is a smart, angry woman, or even the you know maybe the villain's a smart, angry woman. That is such a clear cut. That's something that can be applied to all sorts of sorts of different types of stories, pilots, features, that kind of thing, genres. Mm-hmm. I think something like that is the perfect. That's the perfect brand. If you're gonna do a brand, do something like that. Okay. Good, good advice. Well, we we will since there's some celebrating tonight going on. Let us let us ever so gently finish this episode so that we can all get drinking and cheering and howling at the moon. We have yeah. two signature questions we ask all of our interviewees. Rob, do you want to ask the first one? Yeah. So, David, do you like writing? Do you actually do do you actually like writing, David? Man, I love that question so much. I've never been asked that before. 100%. I love it. It's, it's, uh, I've come to terms. This is how much I love writing. I had to come to terms with myself, realizing that it's my, it's the thing I love the most in the world. So <laughs> I love screenwriting so much. I've written like, I don't know, upwards of 50 feature scripts. I, when I was growing up, when I was living with my, my grandfather, uh, sorry, my grandmother in like my, my early 20s. And I was writing, I was, I was literally like, she and I would literally be in the middle of an argument and I was writing a scene like while we're in the middle of an argument, like nothing deterred me from writing. There was also one screenplay and this is coming from someone who's like a binge eater. Like I, sometimes I go on binges where I eat too much and blah, 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 all that, all that jazz. When I'm writing, when I'm in the zone in the script is the only time in my life where I forget to eat. (laughs) It's the only time where it's like, oh shit, it's 6 p.m do I care? <laughs> I was like, no, cause I'm writing. So yeah. All I, right, I'll I, starve. I can yeah, last I a week. Yeah. I just need water. Honestly, like, you know, flow, man, like, like that's the only yeah. thing that matters. Yeah. I had one script where I worked on where like every time that I worked on the script, I was fasting like period. I would just, cause I just did, I forgot food existed. And this is from someone I'm telling you, I food is like straight up like crack cocaine, heroin for me. Like I love, but I will forget about it if I'm writing a script. <laughs> so that's how much I love screenwriting. That's fair. He loves it more than food, and and we need food it, yeah. to survive. So I mean, it basically overrides a biological imperative inside your body. So wow. that's pretty strong. I'm gonna I'm gonna say he likes writing. Yeah. Uh, our <laughs> other signature question is: Do you view yourself as an outliner or a pantser? Meaning, you write by the seat of your pants. <laughs> I I'm definitely team pantser um oh I, shit no oh yeah. shit I, that I, means you're on rob's team game I, changer. Whole, I wholeheartedly support outlining 
for the record, in in this industry, you have to do it. People will ask you for it. It will, it might even also be like a, a deal point in many cases. So you have to know how to outline. You have to be willing to do it. Right. That said, if it's if it's an original project, and if my reps will let me get away with not outlining, I will not outline. I the more I outline a script, Ooh. the less interested the less interested I become Ooh. in the script. The most outlining I do will probably be for the first act. I'm very I'm not a very particular guy as far as like deep. I don't necessarily know need to know every single detail of what I'm about to write. I kind of it flows. I love I like to flow. The exception is the first ten or fifteen pages. I need to know every single detail <laughs> um, that's happening in those pages. And sometimes it's to the extent where I will happily outline just a few scenes just to know what I'm doing in that first act. But beyond that, I'm I'm taking it. I'm just kind of I'm I'm going. I'm jumping off from there, and it's all in my head. Everything is in my head. Uh, ideas are in my head. They stay in there, and the structuring is completely in my head. But also, you know, that's because I've been doing it. I've been writing for such a long time. Structuring is is very second nature to me. And in this industry, it's an it's an expectation that you're that you're delivering great structuring. So I don't even think about it really. I don't I don't I I'm gonna sound like a douche, but I I, I don't have the need to sit down and try to structure something on paper. It's just, I already, I've done it so many times that it's kind of already in my head anyway. <laughs> so well, no, I William feel- Goldman says screenwriting is structure. So I get what you're saying. And it's just, it's, it's great. It's great. So I, I welcome to team pants. Uh, hey man, happy, happy to be here. Oh, yeah, um, t-shirt though. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's, it's in the mail. Team team out team outline will let you have one of the good ones. <laughs> that's a Kate Tuxford, you took a big L this week. That's a that's, <laughs> I wow. did not think it was so gonna sorry. go this way. I know, um, I didn't either, but I'm happy to take the win. Um hey, okay, so yeah, let's yeah. move on to what are we watching, consuming writing. I'll go first and then David, you know, you can sort of uh come on in and then Kate Tuxford can take us home. I as I said before, I finished Adventures in the Screen Trade with by William Bill Goldman. I started watching, and I'm almost finished, No One Can Save You. And I decided to finish another script because, I don't know, something came out of me this week, and I was like, I, I wanted to finish the script, The Starfish Conundrum, before can I, I... Can I ask you, is the conundrum the fact that the starfish is orifice is both its mouth and its anus? Because that has been bothering me for a very long time. No, no, it's it's not. But um, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. But yeah, no, the starfish conundrum. I'm I'm finishing. It, it is. I'm I'm just. I can't stop writing rom coms. I'm writing a, a very unique rom com about an old couple and a young lesbian. So it, like, like a brand. Yeah, let me intrigued. So yeah, so I am. You know, because <laughs> I'm a weirdo. And again, uh, so yeah, I'm writing that, and I wanted to finish it, but I was doing something else, and then I was like, I'm gonna finish this. I don't know when, but then my brain was like, it's time to finish this, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I, I it was one of those things where I'm so glad because I like I actually went back into my notes, and then, like I had like like written scene beats for like the, the next act and i was just like thanks past rob and it was just like wait a minute what order is this in and then past rob had like 
numbered them and was like, oh man, thanks, Pass Rob. Um, I appreciate Rob, you. I don't know how to tell you this, but it sounds like you wrote yourself an outline. I did not. No, these are scenes. Oh, I didn't want to say it. I'm scared. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> they're they're scenes. There's not an outline. Okay. Just, I mean, there's a river in okay. Egypt hmm. you may know about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest, man. Scene beats that's on, on page is it sounds like an outline. I especially when you when you okay. ordered where the beats take. No, place. it's just I had written I had written the first act and then I was like, okay, I I I need to know where I'm going. But I, I don't, I'm not going to write this now. So I wrote like a thing, like where it's just like, oh, here's like some stuff. And then like, I was just like, oh, okay, just to get me through those pages. Cause I knew once I got through those pages, I'll be like, I'll know where I'm going to go, but I'm not it, just to make sure that the structure was there. So I knew what the structure was. I had to turn it I, around. I'm, I'm not going to touch this. I'm going to let our listeners touch this. Uh, okay. <laughs> wow. I can't. Okay. I, I I feel like it speaks for itself. Okay. Dave, are you Dave. working on anything or read anything this week that you want to shout out? Working, you said working on anything or reading anything? Or watching, watching reading, 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 writing. What? I think you also said watching too, right? Yeah, watching, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I watched most of They Cloned Tyrone. Yes. I'm I'm really digging that movie. It's uh it has its flaws, but man, I just think from a a, a writing standpoint, acting standpoint, directing. I think those things are just so aces. I feel like this is an example where you can kind of feel the voice coming through the screen that was probably on the page. I think uh, I definitely recommend that writers check that out. That's like high concept, extremely well-crafted characters, and just like an amazing voice. You have those three things, you're gonna be you're gonna be all right. So uh, I recommend they clone Tyrone. Yeah, I 100% I, I agree with that. I, I I was a big fan of it when I saw it. It's so good. Yeah. Crazy. I thought I'm caught up in Only Murders in the Building season three. I listened to that episode that has that particular earworm. I'm not going to say it here to save you mm. all. But let's just say it's going in my head right now, even as we speak. I watched The Haunting in Venice in theaters, got to rewatch Barbie, which is really great. But when you live in L.A., it is funny that some of the locations in Barbie were like, she's at Griffith Observatory and then like Ken goes to Century City and the back of your head, you're like doing the miles that Ken would have had to like <laughs> literally walk to get to Century City. And you have to, you have to suspend that disbelief people. Nobody mm. else has that problem outside of LA. They're like, sure. He took a walk down the street, but that they're like 20 miles apart people. Anyway. Maybe so in the Barbie think, universe, they're not that far. I don't know. Maybe in the, but, but this was real world. This was real world. Was it though? <laughs> Was no. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm actually going to my annual friend con with my high school friends. So on the plane, I'm working on a screenwriting article, still trying to decide what wisdom I can impart. So far, it's don't suck and it's okay <laughs> if you do suck. Both things at the same time, all, all the time, which I feel like maybe <laughs> it's just like a hug with words, but I'm going to try to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to try to get the hug with words in there. Uh, so that's what I'm working on this week. Uh, Rob, <laughs> what is our resource of the week? Well, we have two because one of them is our Christmas. Well, there's a Christmas seminar. Well, a Christmas movie seminar held by Isabel Drian. It is Tuesday, which is the day that you guys will be listening to. Most of you guys will be listening to this podcast. So if you guys are able to listen to this before... 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or noon Pacific Standard Time or 2 p.m. I guess 
Central Standard Time, you will be able to hopefully uh, catch this. The link to this will be in the show notes. It's a free webinar on how to break in with a Christmas movie. She is, Isabel apparently has written several Christmas movies. And that is a place where people are, are breaking in. So if you get a chance and you are, you know, you hear it, go for it. Yay. The other one is a, a YouTube video that I saw this week by local script man called Unfuck Your Screenplay in Five Minutes. <laughs> um, excellent, excellent title. Yeah. Oh and goodness. it's, I watched it and it's, it's funny as hell. And it just, it gives some very tough, but, uh, you know, great love on how to take sort of to get rid of a lot of that purple prose and, and make things actionable and do something that, that is, that can be shot that a lot of things that, you know, where people talk about, you know, your screenplay has to be shootable. So if it's, you know, you can be saying certain things, but most people are looking for in, the, in your screenplay, like something that can be absolutely shot. Directors hate like that kind of, you know, flowery language and stuff like that. But, you know, you also have to be descriptive and, and you have people have to see the movie. And this is a really great video on how to sort of marry all of those elements together and do it in within five minutes so that right is on. our yeah that is our show screenwriting from the trenches can currently be found on amazon anchor apple google iHeartRadio, and spotify podcast as well as kevinlmartin.com our screenwriting twitter drama theme song was written by zach morrison and used with his permission and hey since we're a new podcast we'd appreciate it if you dropped us a like rated us five stars on whatever platform you patronize because why, K-Tuxford? Algorithms. For questions for us that we can and will answer on the show, please email us at rob at bmofo.net. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at BespectacledMofo. I'm at K underscore Tux. Dave, what are you on the on, on Twitter or X, whatever, whatever? <clears throat> I'm at Storyteller Dave. Excellent. Yeah. And Zach is at Zach Morrison 18 and these things as well as my YouTube channel where the Cinema Challenge series will one day be back where we show you how to make a movie for $1,000. All will be linked in the show notes. Thanks for so much for listening. We hope that you will continue to do so. Now, stop procrastinating. Those pages aren't going to write themselves. David, you were a lovely guest. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank for, you. Thank you, guys. For being on Team Pants. Uh, <laughs> he's gonna remind me about this all week thank yep. you all right <laughs> and and thanks for the extra time i know we got waylaid a little bit with the with the strike news but now everybody gets to go party yeah it's about to be lit mm -hmm.